Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'll be chatting with David Bailey, the founder and executive director of Airbon, an organization existing to equip you and your community to effectively engage in reconciliation. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is Tyler Brondike, and I first just want to thank you for spending some time. If this is your first listen, um, welcome and, and excited to have you. hope that you find some value in this episode. And for those who have tuned in before, also thank you for continuing to stick with Guys Like Us podcast and hearing in on so many different perspectives, authors, pastors, musicians, business people, speakers, um, and really everything in between of how they're living out as disciples of Christ and their story. And it's also some, always some advice and practical ways for you to get involved and become Christian or, or seek out Christianity, um, or for you to strengthen and deepen your relationship as well. Today's episode is with David Bailey. He is a founder and executive director of Airbon. He is based in Richmond, Virginia, which is actually the former capital of the Confederacy. And that plays a lot into his his current day job and current day ministry. Um, And that comes from history. And he uses the importance of history and understanding um, both biblically and also in our country. Biblically, looking back at Genesis 1, when all things were good, and, and then came a change when Adam and Eve came along in Genesis 3, um, and our humankind became broken. It wasn't until Jesus came and, and fulfilled um, the, the Old Testament scriptures that, that we could have reconciliation um, in this process. And he, he creates a narrative with our current day culture um, and how that was actually, it's been impacted by a lot of our past um, with segregation of the church division with people and and looking at slavery and and, and how just how recent it was um and and the the alarming and, and overwhelming um information that that it shows about uh equality and, and, and injustice and he shares and, and wants us to really instill this idea of reconciliation rather than conciliation and, and we'll get a bit more into that as well um, but he then breaks down into what it means to be in, in the in the kingdom business rather than just in the business business by sharing an example of someone who he's met um, and how he's taken his business and, and made it uh, very intentional as well. So stay tuned and hope that you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. And today I'm joined with David Bailey, founder and executive director of Airbon. So without further ado, David, thanks much for joining this evening. Tyler, thank you so much for having me, man. Absolutely. How I like to kick us off is by opening up in a in prayer, and then we can get get on into the to the uh, content and just the podcast itself. So I can open us up right now. Sounds great. Father, thanks for bringing David and I together. This evening happy for uh, for this long weekend myself and excited for this conversation that we're going to have um just just through seeing and, and hearing so many great things that david's been doing through Arabon and, and just in his personal ministry and what you've put on his heart um i know that it has the opportunity to to transform lives and and change so many people that he doesn't uh, doesn't even know that um you know, exists right now and, and, and how it's going to continue for, for generations to come. And I'm thankful for this conversation um, to be able to communicate just uh, across the way as David's based in Richmond, Virginia now. And as I'm, as I'm speaking right now in Washington, D.C., it's, it's great that um, th- this, this platform allows us to, to communicate and, and have this connection. So I'm excited uh, for, this af- for this evening and for this conversation. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So to, to get things kicked off, um, I, I want to just open up with a pretty, pr- 
pretty um, high level question. I just want to know a bit more a bit more about yourself uh, and just to share with the audience um, who you are, where you come from, and what you're up to now. Well, man, my uh, name is David Bailey. I, like you said, I lead a ministry for Arabon, and uh, man, I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I've actually uh, lived here my whole life, and uh, man, from 18 to 25, I literally tried to like get out of the city and try to um, go to a bigger city and see what I could do. And the Lord just really had me to be here in Richmond. And it's what I've learned here in Richmond that uh, has really take, literally taken me around the country and the world. Um, and so, you know, what I learned here in Richmond is um, Richmond was the former capital of the Confederacy. Um, there was a thing called a civil war. Um, you know, some people argue about whether it was about states' right or slavery. Um, but when you read the Articles of Confederate, um, it kind of uh, act of war, it gets in there and it says it's about slavery. You know, um, it was the economy that was here, and Richmond was the capital of that. It was the number one exporter, uh, became the number one exporter of slaves, and the business here in Virginia was in um, kind of quote unquote breeding of um, slaves. Well, you know, after the Civil War um, in 1865, like, um, you know, Richmond. You know, had to be rebuilt, and uh, you know, with this period called the Reconstruction, and eventually um, they started this thing called Jim Crow, and eventually the uh, United States federal government, you know, said, "Hey, you got to integrate." And Virginia was one of the leaders in resisting against um, integration, and um, and really the church led 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 a lot of that. Um, on both sides of it, both slavery um, and um, as it related to um, integration and, and resisting integration, a lot of the Christian private schools in this area started, you know, from there. And so, um, you know, that was a struggle during the six, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. And, um, you know, so I grew up in the 80s and it wasn't necessarily that it was that active of racism that was going on. In a kind of in a similar like kind of overt way, but what happened was we were dealing with the consequences of that, where you had the white people live on this part of town, the black people live on that part of town. The, the at Richmond when I was growing up, it was kind of a it was black and white and non-black and white. It wasn't even that many um, people from different countries um, as as present in our city in a concentrated area, but um, we it, it was very segregated and the church. Um, dealt with a lot of that, that legacy um, as a default and the church was segregated and uh, I was a musician kind of going out of different social spaces kind of wealthy spaces uh, racially, economically diverse spaces uh, um, ethnically diverse spaces and I really realized how important um, worship was and bringing people together music was in general but worship specifically mm. and um, realized um, how I began to see in the scriptures where you know, God's given us a ministry of reconciliation. It's not just uh, for God and humanity, but humanity with one another uh, through Christ. And I realized that in Revelation, you know, there's going to be every tribe, every tongue, every language. And um, the city of God is going to come down in Revelation 21 to 22. And, um, you know, God's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. There's, there's things going to be reconciled and restored. And I realized when Jesus said, um, he taught his disciples, our Father, our God in heaven, how be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That That's something that we need to be leaning into today and not for the tomorrow when uh, all things are reconciled. We need to begin to usher that in today. And so the Lord just really put on my heart to um, start a ministry called Erebon. The word Erebon means a foretaste of things to come, and we're really trying to Help the church to be a foretaste of what heaven is like. And so I live in the city, uh, I serve in the city, but what God has taught me here um, in the Christian communities that I'm a part of, that I live in um, regularly every day, is what, you know, I travel around the country um, along with a, a really great team of folks with Airbon, training people and equipping people to be more effective in ministry of reconciliation. Mm. That's that's incredible. And, and uh first on Richmond, the, the history of Richmond too. Um, 
the the brief history I had is uh, was uh, was from Coach Carter, <laughs> and it was uh, just seeing Coach Carter. And I know that it was you know the the, the plot was in Richmond, but um, that that was the only kind of understanding I had, and and uh, and then actually seeing it in in firsthand actually just last year driving down to Richmond and, and being in the city and I'm sure it's it's uh, completely different than than what it was like um, back in the you know back post Civil War during the Civil War and and in the 80s and uh, kind of how it's changed throughout and I, I think that's that's interesting and um, that the segregation and the, the division that we see but even between churches um, which is something that uh, it, it's still prominent today and it's, it's, and I'm sure it's frustrating seeing that. Um, and I mean, I, I see it in DC here too myself. Um, and it's, and I, I, and I, I just love what you're doing and how you're able to, to really kind of bring different people together into the same space. Um, and, and really kind of focus on that, on, on one vision and just making Jesus's name known and, and, um, and doing it for what's to come too, but but doing it for what's to come, and, and but doing it today, and I think there's an important distinction there. Um, and I, I wanted to to know. So obviously you have experience through in worship music and, and leading worship um, with Arabon. Is this something that you do um, speaking to to worship teams, or is this something that you do just kind of in general to equipping and and empowering? Uh, and I assume is it just church leaders or folks in the church for, for reconciliation? Yeah, so, you know, we started out in doing worship, and then um, what ended up happening was, um, you know, I just began to, I started off in doing worship, and I've actually stopped being a, a, a performing artist or a worship leader since about mm-hmm. the last three years or so. Um, and the reason why was because we were doing a lot of stuff um as related to worship music um, and liturgy and preaching. But then it, it was kind of like there was a lot of uh, underlining stuff that like you could change your worship songs and kind of move from doing maybe Bethel or mm-hmm. uh, uh, Jesus Culture or, or Elevation. Mm-hmm. And you could start maybe doing like Travis Green or Kurt Franklin or um, yeah. some Hispanic music. But then there's a lot of, I mean, that, that's one good move, but there's a lot of other cultural stuff that uh, gets in the way of us um, engaging in practical unity. Uh, some of it's like um, what we talk about, you know, like like what sermon series do we talk about? Um, you know, a lot of uh, minorities really have uh, been hurt because, you know, you got issues like DACA that's going on. And for if you're part of majority culture and if you're a U.S. citizen, that's a political conversation. Well, if you're um, um, uh, not a U.S. citizen, and you know you just were following your parents like the way all children follow their parents, um, and you just are here, it's a pastoral concern, you know. And uh, what happens is, is like in some of these, it could be quote unquote diverse settings, and you hear your Christian brothers and sisters saying really horrible and sensitive things mm-hmm. about DACA folks in the church pews, you're like, oh, man, this isn't a safe space for me. This isn't a place for me. So, you know, I re- began to realize some of that stuff was going on. Or, for example, you know, um, you know, people are responding to maybe some police uh, activity that happened, and, you know, they they might not necessarily agree with all the activity that goes on in Black Lives Matter, but they agree with the sentiment or uh, the frustration with maybe some of the policing in certain uh, poor black communities. And um, that's, you know, if you've never had a challenging experience with police officers, um, but you've grown up learning how to navigate police officers and uh, feel for the police officers, that's a pastoral concern. You know, it's not a political thing. And uh, what ends up happening is, you might have a diverse group of people, but they don't know how to engage with one another and they offend one another and they uh, continue to perpetuate the brokenness that's outside the walls of the church, inside the walls of the church. And so what we started to do, we were kind of help people on the worship side of things, but then we started doing a lot more cultural training and really 
helping folks to have a theological foundation to understanding reconciliation, diversity, uh, how to engage cross-culturally, have a, both a, a theological understanding and a uh, sociological, a historical understanding so that we could be more informed about what's going on and then to ultimately move people towards moving towards action um, in, in really helpful ways. So um, what, what's happened is Airbon, if you go on airbon.com, you know, we got this course called Race Class in the Kingdom of God, and, and uh, we, we teach that and we train uh, folks to give people a shared language and knowledge as it relates to practical stuff and reconciliation, particularly as it relates to race, race and class. Mm. And then what's evolved over the last seven to eight years, what we've done is this urban songwriting internship, urban doxology songwriting internship, and there's a band that's emerged out of it called Urban Doxology. And so they, they embody a lot of the worship practices that we learned within um, our, our, our community uh, here, trying to be people that engage in reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I, I actually just want to kind of rewind for a second just to make sure um, just to make sure it's clear. Can you kind of give a, a very uh, a basic kind of backbone definition of what reconciliation is? Yeah, for sure. So, like, reconciliation, this is idea that something's broken and needs to be put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's kind of important to understand is that we actually really fight for the word reconciliation because um, in, like, racial social theory, um, they don't really oftentimes like the word reconciliation because they bring the point up, if you're talking about black and white people um, being together, there's an assumption that they were, like, equal together in unity and um, and so at most what you can do is have conciliation, not reconciliation, because natives, black people, and white people have never been together in our history of our country as equals. Mm. So when it comes to racial social theory as it relates to the American narrative, I say that's a historical fact. Amen. Like that's that's what's that's what's happened historically. Uh, when it comes to while we still fight for the word reconciliation because we aren't starting our narrative in the history of America, but we actually started it in Genesis 1 where the world was whole and it was good and it was beautiful and it was diverse. And God said it was good and, and God made man and a, a woman and made humanity and it's both the unity and diversity that reflects mm-hmm. the image of God. And uh, he said that was very good. Well, in Genesis 3, uh, we had this thing called the fall and it got broken. You know, and mm-hmm. and so reconciliation, you know, it was started even in the Garden of the Garden of Eden when when God, um, you know, slaughtered the animal to cover up the, the shame and sin of mm-hmm. um, Adam and Eve, and um, reconciliation was needed in the second generation where Cain began to kill Abel, and and um, and, and we've ne- we've needed reconciliation ever since, and. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible tells us that Christ is reconciling all things. And so for the Christian, it's never a question of whether or not something's broken. You know, like, is race relations broken in America? Yes. You know, it's, it's yeah. not a question of yeah. like, whether it's broken or not. The question of it is, is like, what are the details of it? And how, how does God want us to join him in the reconciling of all things? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I, I th- Yeah, thanks for that. Just for, for uh, providing a bit more context there. And um and as you you mentioned also you know that that we we tend to perpetuate um where you uh just want to kind of go back on that um and that's kind of perpetuating conciliation is that kind of what you're getting to is sometimes we'll like we'll coexist together but we're not and we're in, in a sense you know conciliating but we're not um and that actually kind of sometimes leads to to further uh, perpe- uh, perpetuation of 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 I guess the, um, brokenness or division. Um, I just want to make sure that I was, I was un- understanding kind of and clear in that. Yeah, that's good to clarify. I mean, I think sometimes what happens when we talk about, like, I don't know, like, I mean, let's just say, for example, there's something happens in the news, and there's some kind of like racial issue that happens in the news. So what kind of happens oftentimes in evangelical churches is, you know, it's, it's a secondary kind of concern, you know, um, like reconciliation is like particularly like how we engage racially oftentimes tends to be a secondary uh, 
conversation. And so what happened, what puts it up is when something happens overtly in kind of our public square, it becomes in our news cycle. Then what we want to do is we want to have, we want to do reconciliation. We want to do like what was also defined as reconciliation. And really how folks use the word reconciliation is really about, uh, um, uh, um, trying to resolve an absence of tension as it relates to like racial lines. But when you really understand the nature of race and how that's worked in our country, like the whole nation of race was created um, for economic oppression of the benefit of another group of people, you know? And so when some of the things that are happening like in our country and what some of the things people are upset about, you know, it's like one thing if like, you know, somebody says like a racial epithet and, you know, that's, that's not right. You know, that person needs to repent and not do that, but that's not really what's really causing the harm. What's really causing the harm has been centuries of like, um, literal racialized policies that, that said, hey, if you have this skin color, then you're a slave. If you don't have this skin color, then you won't have to. If you're white, you cannot be a slave. If you're black, we'll assume that you're a slave. Mm. And then after that, uh, um, you know, when we became a, a country, we said, if you're classified as white, as an immigrant, if you're a white immigrant, you can own property and you can become a U.S. citizen and own property. If you're considered like a black immigrant, then you can't own property and you don't have any say in this country. And we didn't change the laws, um, even become illegal to discriminate against um, um, home ownership and property ownership until 1968. That's 50 years ago. We had one law in 1968 that said it's illegal to engage um, in discriminating against race. And there were some laws that were put in place during the um, mid to late 70s to enforce that law. Mm -hmm. um, against bank regulations and, and things of that nature. And so, you know, making a friend or like not saying the N word is, is, is not enough um, to actually engage in true reconciliation because, you know, it started off as an economic mm -hmm. uh, problem that became a political and legal problem that then shaped the way that we relate to one another. And that, that shaped the sociological problem and maybe some of the language. But if you just correct your language and, and make friends of a different race, that still doesn't deal with the depth of brokenness. That's the root of the problem. Um, and the root of the problem is, is, is economic. And, you know, I, this is where I, I go, I go to, to, we, we can't just rely on the government. I mean, I think there's a role that the government does play, but, but as the people of God, we can't rely on the We can't wait on the government to, to do whatever they feel like is politically expedient. It's the church that handles the economic issues that um, are are broken with our brothers and sisters. And so, you know, when you look at the book of Acts, Acts 2, you know, you see when the Holy Spirit came, um, they learned how to uh, understand one another's language and um, understand how, how, how they were glorifying Jesus. And they didn't need somebody to, like, assimilate within a dominant culture. They... They were glorifying God within their own language. And out of that spirit's outpouring, people came to faith and they, they joined the family of God. And they were, oh, we're part of the family of God. And the Bible says that, that um, all people had all things in common and no one lacked anything. Like the economic problems that was going on with among that 3,000 group of people uh, or families, those were men that were that were um, counted those days. And, mm -hmm. and um Let's just say 3,000 families or 3,000 people or however you want to quantify that. Uh, it was the spirit of God working with people as family that there wasn't any kind of economic need amongst them. I mean, I think that's the kind of reconciliation that we need to see in the church because that's the kind of reconciliation that will get the attention of um, the white men in Charlottesville, the Black Lives Matter people in Ferguson, mm. the Hurt and Rust Belt State brothers and sisters, the, the DACA. Uh, um, uh, um, children and family members like that's the kind of reconciliation that we need to see uh, in the church that the world will take notice of yeah I completely agree uh, and, and going to one of your 
one of your points too, just like how it um, relates to scripture too. I mean, it starts from, you know, Genesis one to three, as you mentioned. And it's like, I think we tend to see like reconciliation as like the, like, let's do this first and then we can do reconciliation. Right. But like reconciliation is that is the first step. That is the first step. Uh, And I think sometimes we, we tend to, and, and it's, I mean, that, that should be the first step, but sometimes it's the complete, as you said, in, in terms of policies and, and the way that uh, black lives weren't even treated the same as, as human beings back, you know, back, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago and, and, and how that is evolved and just how that is, a lot of that is still the, unfortunately still the same today. Um, I mean, I wouldn't even just say hundreds of years ago. I would like literally say 50 years ago. Like it, it was, it wasn't illegal. Like 51 years ago, I could get lynched and it wasn't uh, illegal. Mm. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that is crazy. That is crazy. I, I mean, and, and, but I, I feel like this, but this concept isn't new though, right? Like the, the Israelites were slaved in Egypt for 40 years and it is something that, but I, and I don't feel like we, we, and, and that's, that's something that, 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 that was something that existed back how, you know, that's what 2000 plus years ago now. So it's like this, this concept isn't new though. Yeah. I think is what I'm, what I'm trying to get at too. Um, Okay, uh, and and I guess just what are some, what are some practical ways that that you found uh, and just through your ministry that are like steps that you can take to reconcile as a as an individual or or maybe as a community. Yeah, so I mean, I think I think you're right in a sense that there's a role that individuals play in communities play, and I think it's really important. I think like you. You did point out that like slavery isn't a new thing, um, you know. I think it's important. All slavery isn't equal, you know. Uh, all I mean, slavery is not a good thing regardless. But all slavery isn't the same. Like chattel slavery is very different than um, being an indentured servant, and uh, or um, the kind of slavery that was practiced in America South was um, try to basically create. Um, what child slavery meant was that you wanted to create this, this so much amount of dependency so that if the person escaped, they couldn't survive on their own because they created that much of dependency. And also what chattel slavery also meant was um, um, you would basically breed human life in order uh, so that folks uh, would um, kind of reproduce. So, you know, to get a black woman, I mean, like, what would happen is she would be forced um, to have sex with folks that she can get pregnant. And, like, a woman like Sojourner Truth, she birthed 13, 13 children because she was getting raped all the time, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's really important to understand. Like, that's that's the what's happened in our country, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, uh, it's it's ugly. It's brutal. Uh, it, it's full of sin. But um, what the Bible says is, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And um, um, and so I think part of the deal is is what we need to do as um, as a community. One of the things I find to be really helpful is to um, to just have a clear, accurate understanding of like history. You know, like like what's happened and how did we get here. And sometimes some people don't want to go in the past and look in the past um, because it's, it's really ugly and brutal. And like we keep on rehashing the, hat, rehashing the past, but it's not really rehashing because I don't know if you've ever heard the story of like what's literally happened in our country. Um, and um, as, as honest and straightforward and unfiltered and uh, what that ends up doing is ends up having we end up having two different conversations, you know. Um, we end up having a conversation about you know something that was a mistake versus something that was a really horrible act against humanity, mm-hmm. and then um, you know because it's like we we because we understand what the Holocaust is, you know, and how horrible that was, um, and we might have gone to a Holocaust museum, so you know it's 
you know, nobody's going to refer to what Hitler did as a mistake, you know, um, or, or, or just something like, what are the Jews going to get over the Holocaust? Like, you know, and I think that's something when people say, hey, when are black people going to get over slavery? That's something that, um, you know, it's like, man, that person really doesn't understand, like, what's happened. And it's also really important to understand, too, that it wasn't just 150 years ago that was the problem. It was literally the next 100 years of Jim Crow where where it was the second-class citizenship and what that has meant for the economy, how that um, economically significantly um, uh, cramped a, uh, a whole group of people, you know. And it's important to understand that, like, literally 100 years ago, Asian brothers and sisters, like, once slavery was over, the, the secondary form of oppression in, in agriculture was Asian brothers and sisters. And um, they were the ones that built, it was, you know, Chinese um, men built the railroads in the West, and um, a lot of the railroads in the so- South were built by um, um, kind of um, convict leasing, you know, uh, amongst African Americans. And, you know, our agriculture has always been subsidized. And so when it switched, you know, over the last 50, 60, 70 years um, to be Hispanic brothers and sisters, you know, we got to realize, like, there's been another form of oppression that's happened to our Hispanic brothers and sisters. And you can read things written about um, Hispanic people today and look at what uh, a newspaper article for 100 years ago, and they're saying the same thing about what they said about Asian people that were um, agriculture workers and migrant workers. It's the same thing they're saying about um, Hispanic people today. Mm. And so it's what's important is is that if we understand our history and our story and we under and we're like really great biblically literate, we can understand, like you said earlier, that their slavery was in the Bible. The reason why there was slavery in the Bible was because there was an empire. The first empire in scripture was um, was Egypt. And in most churches we have a kingdom theology, but we don't have a theology of the empire. And really what's important to understand is that God's people have always been a counter-narrative or was supposed to be a counter-narrative to the narrative of the empire, where in the empire there's always going to be oppression, there's always going to be um, um, some kind of king or or the person up top that is exploiting on the other um, side of folks. But what happened, God said, like, um, called Abraham out and said, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation out of your son. Um, and, and when I make you a great nation, I'm doing it not just so that you can kind of be large and in charge and have it all, but so that you can be a blessing to the other nations. And so it was like a seed of, like, this holy nation, the seed of a royal priesthood, a seed of um, this family that's a part of the kingdom of God that's going to be a blessing to the other nations. And and really from Exodus all the way to Jesus when he came, uh, um, the people of God struggled with how to live in the middle of the empire, um, how to be faithful to God in the middle of the empire. Uh, even John, when he's writing his book in Revelation, you know, Babylon, mm-hmm. which is, is Rome, is about the empire, how the people of God live and stay faithful. And I, I think that's a big thing that we have to ask ourselves. Um, are, is the United States the kingdom of God or is the United States the empire? You know, and when you look at what the empires do, empires oppress and they do slavery and um, they exploit people. Um, I love being a U.S. citizen, but it's not the kingdom of God, you know, and I've, I've, it's, it's been helpful to me as I wrestle with these hard things that I don't have to defend. I don't have to defend the things that our country has done because it's not the kingdom of God. And when I look at what, what God expects of his people of God to live in a kingdom way, it's like, man, we could be the heir about, we could be the hope. And I find that when we understand the history, when we understand our Bible, then we understand how Christians ought to engage both as a community and as individuals. And so that's, you know, that's, that's uh, 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 probably a long answer to, to your question, is, is um, understand some history 
uh, understand the scriptures and what it has to say. And then, like, as an individual, as a community, let's try to engage faithfully uh, with these understandings. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I think what comes to mind there is I, I, I think we've, we've built where you know hum, human nature has built up these systems and these structures that um are i think are getting further i think as we we get smarter which is good in some ways but i think it's also bad in some ways is that we start to build things and we don't know the repercussions or even 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 our intentions you know more so i think it's what what can we get away with is the mindset mm-hmm. rather than what can we make right or, or, or really like how can we live in a in a more godly kingdom fashion right i yeah, mean yeah. How, can, how can we build a kingdom and not but it, how can we build a kingdom kingdom rather than how can i build a business yeah um and i i think it's i think it's it's uh it's frustrating too and i think it's challenging and I, I like what you said about engaging faithfully and and asking these questions and and being and, and getting a bit more historically sound and structurally sound because I think we're we're kind of fading away from the Bible, right? I think we're starting to just kind of look at um, what what we see on Instagram or what we see on Facebook as as a message for the day. Um, but I think when we start to understand a bit more Scripture and get in the Word, then we start to then we actually live by the Word. Um, and I, I see, I see, cha- I see, I mean, I, I just see, um, I, I see a lot of division, I think, in our, our country now. And it's, it, I think it's, fu- I wanted to kind of touch on this too, is like, how do you think we are getting as a country, do you think that we're in general kind of coming more together in certain ways? Or do you think that we're kind of starting to, to pull, even kind of push away further? Um and then where where do you think the church stands right now uh, because in this equation because I do think that the the church is, is is the first responders right I mean when you look at international aid um, church churches and, and church communities and organization you know Christian run or faith-based organizations are the ones that are, are feeding families and are feeding feeding refugees man I- so I think there's a lot in that. I mean, yeah. I think, um, let me, I guess maybe this is what I'll do. I'll, yeah. I'll kind of talk a little bit about kind of building the kingdom versus like building a business. Yeah. Um, and really being scripturally sound. I mean, part of what we're trying to do is, you know, as a ministry is when you kind of like look at something, like I did a TED talk about building cultural artifacts. And I, although I was speaking, to a secular audience, I was talking about some of the stuff that we do with worship music. But in essence, what we're trying to do is build cultural artifacts. We're trying to create new culture. And like what a cultural artifact is, is basically like a, a art or, or um, something. Uh, um, can't, man, I'm sorry. I, like, uh, you're not supposed to define a word or what the word, but uh, artifact, uh, uh, a piece of furniture, a, a song, mm-hmm. um, some kind of uh, uh, thing, object that um, that it ends up telling about whatever culture that it existed out of. And so, like when we when we make things, when we you know um, Andy Crouch in his book Culture Making says, culture is what we make of the world and what we make sense of the what we make sense of the world and what we make of the the materials that God's given us. You know, when we do those things, we're making a statement about. Um, our world, our culture. Well, it's like one of the things that we're ultimately trying to do in our ministry at Airbond is that we're trying to kind of give people a theological understanding, give people a historical understanding, give people an understanding of how things work sociologically. But then we take all that information, and what we want you to do as God's redeemed people, as people that are trying to engage in reconciliation, we actually want you to collaboratively create new cultural artifacts that are towards reconciliation. We want you to write new narratives um, because it's as, a act, as an act of reconciliation and, and as a means towards reconciliation. And so what that looks like is, is um, 
I think about this businessman I know by the name of Don Flo. You know, Don Flo um, started a company called, well, actually, he inherited a company from his dad, an automotive company called Flo Automotives. He's down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, Don knew he was going to take over his dad, um, his dad's uh, automotive business. And he went to UVA, and he said, hey, Dad, what, that's what I want to do. I don't want to just, like, come in and, and just get the top job. I actually want to work every single job from the bottom up, and um, I want to get paid what the mechanic paid. I want to get paid what the janitor gets paid. I want to get paid what the secretary gets paid. I want to get paid when the, the CFO and the, and the COO and eventually when I become the CEO, I want to do every single job so I understand how things work um, at each level. And then after that, he went to seminary. He went to seminary because he really wanted to be grounded theologically uh, and apply that not to being a pastor in a church, but to be a pastor in his business. And he wanted to, uh, um, he had a mindset of reconciliation. Um, sometimes that included racial, but sometimes that could mean economic, or it could mean class. It could, the, the, he just knew the world was broken. And he wanted to walk in other people's shoes and, and, and do something that we call in the Airbonds, some conscious displacement, where, you know, he was going to inherit this business, but he wanted to see what is it like to be the little guy. And then he went to seminary to try to um, understand the scriptures to be able to apply that. And, I mean, he's one of the biggest philanthropists in uh, Winston-Salem. He is, uh, the way that he structured his business, uh, where, for example... People, I'm, I'm making this number up, but let's say $60,000. Mm. Uh, people that make $60,000 or less, um, they get the most amount of benefits. And people that make, let's just say, $60,000 or more, they get they get more cash, less benefits. And he's like, man, that's a way to engage in some equity um, and engage in some reconciliation so that anybody works in his company uh, they uh, can feed their family and and, um, and send their kids to college and to um, really participate. And, and, and the way most companies work in the secular space is that the person at the top with the most money also gets the most amount of benefits. And he's like, that's not right. Like, you should just manage your money well. Like, you know, you if you're getting paid, you know, six and seven figures, um, you don't need all those benefits. Um, you can just manage your money well. But the the person that's an hourly worker needs, you know, a better retirement. They need um, help with their college, um, to kids' college tuition and things of that nature. That brother is engaging in reconciliation. He's understanding the scriptures. He's building the kingdom of God. And he's like, man, some of these people might not ever set foot in a church, but what I want them to do is engage in how my company works where they're like, man, there, there must be a God, you know. There must be somebody that's that 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 is greater than uh, um, myself and and what I see in this world. There must be something transcendent. And so, you know, I, I think that's an example of ultimately what we're trying to do. Whether he's an individual, um, you know, I think about communities. Um, you know, like my church, for example. I mean, my church is trying our best. I mean, we we don't get it right all the time, but really, really trying our best to be a, a faithful, multi-ethnic, um, socioeconomically diverse uh, church. And it's hard, but we're trying to have some creative imagination uh, and create some new cultural artifacts that, that write a counter-narrative to the brokenness in the world that is, is moving as a means and an ends towards reconciliation. So, I, I mean, hopefully that gives you some imagination of like what this could look like. Yeah, no, that definitely does, and that was kind of, you know, the, that touches on the, the practical way, I think, or the example that you've seen of, of of how you can take kind of reconciliation into your hands, because I, I know that I think a lot of this has been um, a bit more uh, a bit more abstract, but I think that provides a bit more of a kind of a firsthand example, which is always a, the, the, one of the best ways to tell a story and to kind of clearly articulate what's been going on, so... Yeah, I, I think that that definitely makes more sense. Um, and I, but I, I think the challenge, I guess the question I have is, you know, if you, when you go with Airbon to, um, you know, diff different, just different parts of the 
the country, I assume, or different locations. And, and you are, I, first of all, I think, you know, these people are already in the mindset that they are interested in change, right? I mean, if they're, yeah. if they're bringing you in, they want, they're, they want something new. They want to hear about kind of ways that you've been uh, doing reconciliation and how they can do it. Right. And, but like, but that, but then like actually taking that and, and making the change and like actually seeing the change kind of through, I think is, I think is a de- definitely the, the hardest parts. And I mean, you see that in, in, in all things. I mean, when you're starting a business, you have to, you're, you're, you know, hoping to, to make a change in something that, that maybe already exists right now and trying to get people on something new. Um, or maybe you're trying to make a change in, you know, even as like a, a routine in your, in your personal, you know, you're trying to eat less sugar or something like that, right? And you have to make a change to, to see it through. Um, what, how, how have you been able to kind of see maybe examples that have you seen that where this change has kind of stuck and it has gone all the way through? And maybe some, what, what has caused that? Yeah, so, um, all right, so a couple of things. Um, you know, um, so let me, let, you asked one question earlier, like, are we getting worse or better? Um, yeah. I don't know, man. I think, I think some things are better. I think some things are, are more challenging. I, here's one of the areas that are more challenging that I think is important to understand. Um, there's a book by Robert Putnam um, called Our Kids. And one of the things that he points out is that we, we are having one of the widest economic gaps um, that our country's ever experienced. And um, what's really great about the story is that he really keeps the conversation focused on the economic gap that's, that's being felt amongst white people, Hispanic people, black people, Asian folks. Like it's the the gap is getting wider in our country. There's a lot of reasons for it. There's globalization is a reason for it. Um, um, and there's just a lot of reasons for it. So he kind of packs a little bit of that and 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 because he's a really great writer and scholar, he just he said he basically says like, hey, these things are exacerbated when it because of our history of our country. When you add race on top of it, it makes it even worse. You know, um, the statistics are even worse than what you see. So I think some of what um, is important to understand is that you know, I mean. My wife and I are relatively safe. Like, I mean, like, you know, again, I said like 52 years ago, 51 years ago, you know, we could get lynched or, or killed or raped, or, and there was little consequences about that. Um, but so now, like, it's better that we actually, as educated black middle class folks, uh, if something like that were to happen, there would be consequences for that. Um, on the other side, I mean, there. You know, we're just across the board in a significant economic um, challenge that's felt by all folks. And we haven't done a really great job of dealing with our past. Uh, that, And if we did, that would help us uh, with our present and how do we uh, move forward. So I think what happens when people are bringing us in, they're feeling this. like, And they feel it different in San Antonio where... You know, it's a Hispanic uh, majority, a white minority, and um, and and a black minority. But it's majority Hispanic. But the people who are doing the best are the white folks, and the people who are relatively economical on the show, the lower side of it tends to be Hispanic, and you got some black folks in between. Um, that's going to look different than it looks in uh, Portland, Oregon, where um, you know Oregon was a state that was supposed to be a sanctuary state for white people like literally like that's what Oregon was created mm-hmm. and Portland had a few black folks but there was gentrification there was a lot of there's an underbelly of some racist stuff that happened in Portland Oregon and so you got people still dealing with the wound of that that's different than Birmingham Alabama or it's going to be different than Richmond Virginia it's going to be different than Atlanta or Chicago you know and so you know what folks are feeling like a lot of the time people are intuitively feeling something uh, or really struggling with how to be faithful as a people of God in their context. I mean, I got a return a phone call for people in Charlottesville, you know, that got this, like, college, University of Virginia town, Thomas Jefferson, who's, like, one of the progressive uh, uh, founding fathers, 
you know, you end up having this alt-right, like KKK, neo-Nazi, alt-right, uh, these rallies that are happening in that, that town. And like, man, how do we be faithful in this space? Like, how do we uh, not be the Antifa and how do we not be the, you know, kind of anti-pro stuff and, you know, um, protest people? Uh, but how do we be for something and for reconciliation in a very hostile, crazy mm-hmm. environment? And so, you know, I think a lot of people are coming with questions. And then what we end up doing is um, we, we have this course called Race, Class, Kingdom of God to, to get people some shared language and some shared knowledge. But then when we actually do our live workshops with them, we're actually trying to help to understand, like, so much of this stuff is contextualized. Like, you know, what what is needed in Boston is different than it's going to be needed in San Antonio. And what we do is we try to spend a couple of days in, in discernment and some training, some teaching, asking questions, and really help people to make a plan for their community and their context. And so that's, that's a lot of the work that we are doing. Um, and then from a worship standpoint, um, you know, Urban Doxology is putting out songs and liturgies and, um, and, and worship stuff to kind of help people to sing the theology that we believe, to have imagination uh, um, for some reconciliation and give some language and invite God in that space. Um, we teach people how to lament because there's some stuff that's just really messed up with the world that is not going to be fixed in one Sunday sermon or mm-hmm. it's not going to be fixed in um, even uh, next year. But we need to invite God into the lament of the brokenness. And so urban oxology oftentimes helps people um, in that area to know how to engage in reconciliation um, and lament um, for the long haul. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of, one of the last things you meant was urban doxology. Um, mm-hmm. What does that What does that stand for? What does that mean? So, I mean, like the word urban doxology is like the notion of idea. Like, it's kind of what we, we, we call our kind of worship practice, where it's a, a music, liturgy, and arts that and preaching that mm, okay. is preparing people for the city of God that's to come. You know, the kingdom of God in Revelation is 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 um, Imagine as a city coming to the earth, and and when we say our Father in heaven, how be thy name? Thy kingdom come, and will be done on earth. We like let the city of God that's in heaven be the city of God that's here in our local city. Mm. And so, so we're trying to have that question of like, if we do a doxology, which doxology means like the praise of God, the wor- the worship of God. What does it look like to have the worship of God contextualized in an urban center, mm. you know, okay. in an urban city? And so that's that's the work that. One of the um, ministries of us, urban oxology, does to try to invite that stuff through worship. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I think it's. It, you mentioned obviously it's going to look different um, for for how it looks in, in different in different cities, right? I mean, it's, as you mentioned in Oregon, um, like as you, like a white sanctuary, basically, from what is you know that that was the, the initial intention of it. And then kind of looking into Chicago or, or what it's like in Richmond. Is there, is there like core values that you think or, or core lessons that, that, that can be applied that can be kind of used across the map? Um, and kind of like with that, is there, is there like, is there steps that, that people can take like, you know, tomorrow, if, if this is something that they really want to be part of and, and, and start to, kind of ent- ent- they want to enter into that conversation how can they do so yeah so i mean i would recommend like our core kind of like approach and how to move forward is we got this course called race class of the kingdom of god mm. and we you know we give a biblical foundation um the first two weeks of the course is this um um, talk call of people placing a just society to kind of some of the biblical stuff that I shared about here um, you know you kind of go a lot more in depth and you're able to study it biblically um, and then we have another um, talk about some worship practices called the five practices um, um, I've got a name of it it's like five um, oh five practices become a reconciling community and like how do you practice these things and then the third 
uh, the week four, five and six, I'm sorry. That's week three and four is the five practices. Week five and six, we talk about the Shalom Continuum, which we want to jump into Shalom, but there's a process uh, that we got to go through, a four-step process, homogeneity, and move to diversity, towards reconciliation, towards Shalom. And um, that's a spiritual formation journey that we go on to, both as individuals and as a community, in order to um, to move into to more reconciliation. And then in the 201 course, we go deeper and help you to understand why are we homogenous? Why, the word homogenous means like people or something of similar like parts. Mm-hmm. And, and so why are our communities homogenous? And so we go deeper into that and we go deeper into like how do we experience unity and diversity and what are models for cross-cultural engagement? Um, and, you know, then we eventually get into reconciliation and shalom and what does that look like and how, to, how can we pursue that? So we, we get really practical. Um, and, and what's great is that you can go over this either as an individual or as a small group mm-hmm. uh, for like 13 weeks, you know. And, and we set it up in a way where, you know, if you, if you do it with, you know, if you're white and you do it with a Hispanic person, an Asian person, and a, a black person, it'd be different than if you did it with like a, you could do the same course again with some Middle Eastern folks, uh, some people from Egypt, people from the United States, people not from the United States, and it would be a very different, uh, but yet enlightening conversation and a way of learning. So we, we've developed that resource for folks, and I just would encourage everybody to check it out. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. And, that, and that's available right through um, the arbon.com. Perfect. Um, and just a final thing, I, I think, to to wrap us up. Is there one one thing or uh, that, that we didn't cover today or maybe is on your heart that you'd like to share? That's a good question. Um, I, mean, I, feel like, I feel like we covered a good amount um, amount of stuff and then if perfect and then um just you know where people can find you and you, you mentioned um the, the website is there anything is there, is there any other ways that we can kind of stay involved yeah i mean uh, you know um i would say go on airbond.com if you appreciated you know the work that we do we're a nonprofit ministry uh, monthly supporters is is um how we uh, keep the lifeblood keep on doing what we're doing i mean there just aren't that many um, people that are both committed to um, b- biblical theology, um, try to be accurate, histor- historic, like just no matter how hard the truth is, tell the truth about history, and also try to engage in creating mm-hmm. cultural artifacts that help move us forward towards reconciliation. So, you know, if you appreciate that approach and you just feel like, hey, man, I want to be a blessing to that ministry, we, you know, monthly, mm-hmm. annual, even one-time supporters are all, we're always grateful for. You can do that at airbond.com. If you're looking for some fresh, like, worship music, something that sounds different than what you're hearing and you want to kind of be able to meditate on uh, some of the Word and and, um, and Jesus and reconciliation, look, check out Urban Doxology, urbandoxology.com. And, um, and I guess the last thing is in, in April 8th, you know, um, we're about to uh, release a, a documentary that we're going to tour around the country called 11 a.m. Hope for America's Most Segregated Hour. And we're going to, you know, tell a story about our community and, and what's going on. So, you know, you can just check those things out, 11 a.m., the movie.com. Wow. And, uh, and check some of that stuff out. Awesome. That's, that's exciting. That's exciting in uh, a lot of different ways to, to stay involved. So that sounds great. Um well, well, awesome. I, I really appre- appreciated this conversation today, and um, I thought we were able to cover a good deal and um, a bit more about your story and kind of dig into to reconciliation as a topic and also how you're, you've been able to, um, to kind of tack away and, and, and kind of do, do God's work and, and, make, making, and, and making this a ministry and, um, and then also just kind of how we can, you know, follow you and ways to, to, to move forward. Uh, so I, I would just love for you to close us out in prayer and to, just to pray over us and pray over, the, you know, our listeners too. Yeah, I appreciate you asking me to do that because I, I really wanted to pray. I mean, one thing, as just in preparation of prayer, I think, like, 
the stuff I've talked about is really hard, you yeah. know. Um, it's very hard. I mean, I deal with the stuff every day, and it's still hard for me every day. I got to really be prayed up. Um, there's some people that are going to be tempted to engage in what we call white guilt, you know, and um, and I want to I want to say that guilt is a plan of the enemy. Shame is a plan of the enemy. Um, Jesus took our guilt and our shame. Um, but uh, conviction is where the Holy Spirit gives conviction. And conviction motivates you to uh, um, do something about the things that you see that are wrong. Uh, whether you committed the sin overtly or not, but I think there are ways of acts of repentance that we can all do, whether we were the perpetrators or not. And um, so I want to pray into that and to some white folks that might um, be struggling with white guilt. And, and that's not the point of this conversation. This point of conversation is to kind of shed some light on some stuff, but with the light of like what's happened in history and with the light of the scriptures to give us conviction. The other thing is uh, there might be some people of color that like I think the temptation is to uh, kind of be angry. And let that anger turn into bitterness. And I, I want to say, you know, we should be angry about the fact that we lived in a country where, you know, men could rape women for hundreds of years with no consequences. Like, we should be angry that people could be lynched and, uh, um, and that some people are exploited for the benefit of others. Like, we should be angry over that. Um, but I think sometimes... That anger could turn into bitterness. You know, the Bible says, "Be angry, but don't sin." It says the Hebrew talks about not allowing a root of bitterness to come up. And so, I also want to pray uh, for for some people of color that might might be listening to this. And when you hear these things, um, it makes you angry, and you don't know what to do with that. And I pray, my prayer is going to be that you would, um, the Lord would show you how you could take that energy and and uh, take it to God and. Um, the Psalms, that brother's really angry, and he and God's not afraid of that, and God decided to record that in the scriptures, and so uh, I think that's a lesson for us on what we should do with our anger, and I don't know what to do with it, so let me just, mm. I just wanted to, I just felt like I needed to share that, and I want to uh, spend mm. some time just praying into that, and so Lord, you know, I just thank you for Tyler, um, I want to just thank you for Tyler, just engaging in this, um, uh, topic, um, seeking me out, and um, I just thank you that um, it just made the space for us to just be able to talk and dialogue and on these issues. And Lord, I just pray for some people that might. Uh, I, I thank you for the ones that stayed to the end. There might be some folks that like that like um, decided to hang the phone up, or or not the phone up, but hang up the. Um, the podcast or, you know, move on because it just got too hard for them. And Lord, I just pray, you know, if, if, if they're avoiding that, Lord, when the right time is for them to hear the truth that, you know, you would just work on their heart to hear the truth and see how they can kind of engage in the ministry of like reconciliation um, in our country. But, but I, I really pray, you know, for those who have made it to the end and might, the enemy might be kind of coming in with an overbearing, uh, sense of guilt and shame, and God, we rebuke that. We uh, like push that back, and and really um, just say, Holy Spirit, we invite you to convict us, like uh, uh, convict us of wrongdoing. It might be wrongdoing that our forefathers have done, or it might be wrongdoing that somebody else is doing, and we might not be to blame for. It, but we're, but as the people of God, we're responsible, and so sometimes we might just our wrongdoing might not be being engaged in this. And Lord, I just pray whatever. Um, area of ownership that you want our listeners to hear that they would just own that and then they would begin to press into prayer or what do you want me to do with this i'm just one person that has been doing something in a uh, little mid-sized city um and, and and just trying to be faithful and i really pray that the listeners that are listening here uh, will uh, no matter where they are will say hey i'm going to try to be faithful and i'm gonna try to engage into something at a different level Lord, I pray for the people of color in this space that are just struggling. I mean, you know, a lot of them don't go to churches where we talk about these things and don't know how to, uh, they have pastors that don't know how to shepherd people in this area. And Lord, I pray that you would give them an outlet to know how to deal with the anger that, um, that is some of it's righteous anger, you know, 
Um, but I pray that you would help them not to move on to bitterness, but, you know, they would be okay with taking that to you, the pain, the anger, even the shame that is, is a part of being a person of color in this country that can, can happen to some of us. But I pray that you would just help us in that area, Lord. And I just want to just pray for the church in the same echoing prayer that uh, Jesus prayed in, in John 17, that um, that we would be one. Like he said, I don't pray for those who are my disciples. I pray for those who will believe um, as a testament of disciples, that they will be one, that the world may know that you sent me and that the Father and Jesus are one, Lord. I, I really pray that we would live into that unity. I think often what the world calls equity is really biblical unity that should be modeled by the church. And so I pray you help us to press into that. And I just thank you guys so much um, for this time. I really believe that you have called us for this moment to such a time as this. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.